Let's move on now to the Word of God. We are in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. If you're new with us, we simply are, uh, we enter into a book of the Bible and make our way through it, um, section by section, verse by verse, and uh, we are currently in 1 Peter chapter 3, looking at verses 8 through 12 today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, I invite you to use one of those blue Bibles. In that Bible, you can turn to page 1015, that'll bring you to the text this morning. So by way of reminder, throughout this letter, we, uh, and, and, and we'll see this as we go, as we continue, we find that Peter has been exhorting or is exhorting his Christian readers to, even in the midst of difficult and challenging circumstances, even while uh, suffering opposition for their faith, even in, in all that, to be obedient children of God to be obedient children of God, to be holy, to be godly, to live beautifully uh, before this fallen world, to live righteously, to live righteously, to strive to imitate the supreme example of the Lord Jesus Christ in thought, word, and deed. And in so doing, Peter says to the Christian, you will be blessed as you do that. You will be blessed. So, beloved, I have a question for you. Do you want to experience the blessing of God in this life? Yes? You, you want to experience that? Uh, Thomas was talking about this morning, I want to, do want to make a distinction. We, we always have God's favor. We always have his love in Christ Jesus. We always have that. Uh, God, God doesn't... There's no day that God loves us more or loves us less in Christ. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But God calls us to manifest the righteousness of Christ in our lives and promises to bless that as we are being sanctified, to live holy lives and promises to bless that in this life. Okay, So it's not as if uh, on a, when you're having a bad day and, or you're sinning, that God says, you know, I don't like you anymore. It's not like that. He loves us, but he promises blessing to us when we will be obedient to him. And he brings discipline to us when we are uh, disobedient to him. Not because he doesn't like us or doesn't love us at that moment, but because he does. Because he does. And wants to see... Uh, us conform to the image of Jesus Christ. I just want to make that distinction for you. So, if you want to truly experience the good life, um, regardless of external circumstances, if you want to be able to, to love the life that God has given you, then you must, my brothers and sisters, endeavor to live a righteous life. Yeah. You must endeavor to live a righteous life if you want to see the blessing of God on your life. I think Christians are confused in this matter to some degree, some Christians, and they think that God will bless them no matter how they live their lives. Again, making the distinction, you have God's love, you have his forgiveness, you have his grace, you have his mercy, you have his favor in Christ. But if you think that you can live however you want as a Christian or not pay attention or strive to live obediently to him and you will be blessed, 
That is not scriptural. That is not biblical. That is not accurate. You will not experience the blessing of God on your life. In fact, I would say that if that were the case, if God were to bless you in this life, and we'll talk about what that means, especially in this text. This is all preparation for the text. But if God were to bless you in this life when you're willfully living in disobedience to him, that would be unloving. Because he would be reinforcing in your life disobedience. You know this with your own children, beloved. Right? If they are disobedient, you say, oh, Johnny, let me reward that behavior. What, happen, what would happen if you did that? Because some parents do. You'll get more of that behavior. You don't do that, right? You say, oh, Johnny, I love you, but I am not going to reward that behavior. In fact, there's a punishment coming for that behavior. There's some discipline coming for that behavior, right? You reinforce the kind of behavior you're looking for in your child, and you, you reward that good behavior. You tell them, that's, a, that's good, that's right. Okay? Why? Because you don't want your children practicing bad behavior. Not simply because you don't want them being bad kids, but bad behavior leads to bad consequences. Yeah? Right? Okay, well, it's the same with God. But to a greater, even more uh, perfect level. So let's look at our text and... and uh, Try to work through it, all of it here, these four verses. So, first, verse 8, beginning in verse 8. You can just follow along with me. It'll show up on the screen as well. Peter says, finally, all of you. Just I'll pause right there. Finally, all of you. So just before this verse, Peter addressed various groupings within the church. And if you've been with us, uh, you're aware of this. So he spoke to husbands and wives and household servants. And in all of those cases, uh, it was, a mat, there was a, it was related to the relationships. Relationships were being discussed. Also submission and authority, but relationships. How they were to relate to one another in these various circumstances. But now Peter turns his attention again toward all the believers, okay? All Christians. So that's why it says, finally, all of you. Have, now he gives us an exhortations. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but... On the contrary, bless, or to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires, and here he quotes Psalm, from Psalm 34, the Old Testament scriptures. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So looking at our text today, it is, it is, this, it is as if Peter is saying, listen, I'm putting this in my own words, I, I know things have not been easy for you as followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, coming to Christ has made things even more difficult for them. They're being uh, persecuted in various ways for their faith, or at least they're experiencing opposition uh, for, their, for their allegiance to Christ. But Peter is saying, listen, but if you desire the good life, and for, or for all who do, you must live as God has called you to live no matter what. No matter what. You must be holy. You must pursue righteousness. You must remain steadfast. 
and God for, or the reason why, is because God promises to bless you if you do. So even though you may be experiencing troubles in your life, stay the course, live holy lives, God will bless you in it. Okay? You will experience blessing. So the first instruction uh, that we see here, and we're just going to work our way through them in verse 8, you can look back at the text, it says basically all of you, the idea is all of you, speaking to all of them, have unity of mind. Unity of mind. You see it there in your Bibles. So a, a better translation, I think, of that, uh, that the Greek there is found in other translations such as the NASB and the NET, and it translates it, be harmonious. Be harmonious. The NIV translates it, live in harmony. I think that's a better translation. Uh, one definition of harmonious, so you can just understand what is being required of us as believers, is uh, if you are harmonious, you are marked by agreement in sentiment or action. You are marked by agreement in sentiment or action. And uh, one commentator, Bible commentator, points out that Peter is not really calling Christians here uh, for or calling for uniformity of opinion. In other words, that everyone think the same thing about everything. But rather, he implies here that believers should have an inner unity of sentiment. Sentiment is feeling. Okay? An inner unity of sentiment and disposition. Disposition is your prevailing tendency or mood. Your prevailing tendency or mood. So an inner unity of sentiment and disposition, aim or purpose, a unity of heart because of a similar inner experience. That similar inner experience would be the rebirth, united in Christ, having the mind of Christ, okay? Which should produce this unity of heart among believers. So, beloved, listen, while we are different in many ways, in many ways, the body of Christ is to live together in a unified way. Different in many ways, but the body of Christ comes together and should live together in a unified way. In fact, our differences should not divide, but rather enrich the church. Enrich the church. Or to say it another way, while the body has many different parts, it should function together as a pleasing and consistent whole. As a pleasing and consistent whole. So, just to help you understand this better, a church then filled, for instance, with discord and conflict or with strife and factions is not a church living in harmony. It's not a church living in harmony. It is not a body of believers who are striving to be harmonious or live in harmony. They are not united in purpose. And uh, one commentator points out that presumably, presumably, this admonition, this exhortation, this instruction uh, to the believers would be unnecessary if churches were not prone to suffer from division and dissension. Okay? He wouldn't tell us that if we were just all naturally harmonious and naturally we lived in harmony. The reality that is, is that is not the case, and so... We are called to pay attention to those things and to strive to live in a harmonious way. In fact, one of the things that makes the church beautiful, beloved, and unique in this world 
is its visible harmony. It's harmony. The fact that you can have people coming together from all different races, economic levels, educational levels, cultures, backgrounds, and they come together and unite, having one common purpose and sentiment and goal, working together in a harmonious way as a perfect and beautiful whole. That's unique, beloved. And when the church functions properly, it is a gorgeous and beautiful thing, and a thing that draws, can draw, outsiders, unbelievers to it. To see that. All of these different folks living together in a unified way. As one writer points out, the early church was a model of visible oneness. And you have to think about that. You had Jews and Gentiles who... They weren't just different. They certainly were different in many ways. But they hated one another. They despised one another. But when they were born again and came to Christ, they were brought together into this one body. And through the power of Christ, and the gospel, and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they lived together harmoniously. Not perfectly, but, but it marked that early church, for sure. And you can see that in the book of Acts. So that's the first instruction. That is what is required. You want to be blessed, beloved, by God? Live harmoniously with the people of God. Okay? The next one, all of you have sympathy. All of you have sympathy. Literally, it means have a fellow feeling. Have a fellow feeling. We are called, and by the way, this may sound familiar to you because we covered many of these things when we went through the book of Romans, chapter 12. Paul also addressed it there. But all of you have sympathy. We are to enter into what others are feeling or share in their feelings. Okay? We are not then to be apathetic to or uninterested in the lives of those around us. Okay? That would be the opposite of being sympathetic. Did you hear me? We are not to be apathetic to or, or uninterested in the lives of those around us, like our brothers and sisters in Christ. And certainly, this would, uh, as he speaks to the church, their first thought would be to those, the body, the body of Christ. But it would apply to those outside of the body of Christ as well. You know, Peter's not saying be sympathetic just to the church. <laughs> certainly, that's what they would think of first as he addresses them. But it would extend to their family, those around them, their neighbors, to to take an interest in them and enter into their feelings. As Paul said in uh, Romans 12, 15, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep, which is not possible without having sympathy. Okay? But a roadblock, beloved, to, our, uh, to sympathy is really our sinful self-centeredness. Again, this is why Peter has to command it. Have sympathy. It is not... It is not necessarily a natural thing because what is more natural for us is to be focused on and be thinking about us, ourselves, ourselves, and to be apathetic or uninterested or not involved or concerned about those around us. 
Yes or no? Does that resonate with you? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Or is this like, no, I don't, he's, he's crazy, he's clueless. No. We, I, I go through this material, in uh, this marriage material that we, we, we use here uh, for marriage counseling, and one of the things he talks about, the term he uses is kingdom of self. Kingdom of self. We, we want to be the king of our kingdoms, and so the world and the universe and everyone around us is then to revolve around us, to answer to us. They are there for us. So sympathy. There's no place in that for sympathy. So we must repent of that type of thinking and those feelings. We must uh, reject the kingdom of self and that self-centeredness that exists in all of us. Okay? In order to have sympathy as Peter has called us. Third, all of you have brotherly love. Brotherly love. Or another way to translate it is love as brothers. That's how the NIV translates it. Now, in secular Greek, the term that's translated brotherly love was used of love of physical brothers and sisters. Physical brothers and sisters. But in Christian literature, the usage is always figurative, indicating this, the mutual love, which is the bond of brotherhood in Christ. The mutual love, which is the bond of brotherhood in Christ. What's a roadblock to this, to having this kind of love? Well, that would be animosity or ill will or even indifference toward our brothers and sisters in Christ or even, yeah, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So if we want to be blessed, we're going to necessarily then have to repent of our indifference, of our animosity, if we have any towards another brother or sisters in Christ, or our ill will. We'll have to repent, and we will have to seek to be reconciled. Did you want to be blessed by God in this life? Then these are the things that you must do. These are the things you must do. Next, all of you have a tender heart. All of you have a tender heart. That's what Peter says. So that means not a hard heart or a cold heart or a stony heart, but a tender one. A tender one. One that, the idea is one that sincerely cares about others and is sensitive to their needs. Same type of thought. Let me say something. Men, it is not girly, but godly to have a tender heart. Huh? It's not girly, but godly. And I only say that because of some of the machoism and, you know, almost as if your masculinity is in question if you don't have a, you know, like, I, you know, I don't show sensitivity. Well, God has called you, Christian, to show sensitivity to the needs of those around you, to care for them, to have a, a soft, gentle, tender heart. You can still be strong and masculine and have a tender heart. I mean, Peter was a, a man's man, for sure, if you study the man. And this is Peter saying, have a tender heart. 
Finally, the scriptures say all of you have a humble mind. <laughs> a humble mind. A humble mind, beloved, is not an arrogant or conceited mind. Hmm? Not an arrogant or conceited mind. It is a mind, then, that counts others as more significant than oneself. Uh, that looks not only to one's own interest, but also to the interest of others. That myself familiar to you. It's a passage uh, in the scriptures in the New Testament. By the way, historians tell us that humility, humility was despised among the pagans in the ancient world. Those who worship false gods. They despised it. I would say that's still the case for many people. They despise humility to some degree. Uh, they, even our culture tends to promote an arrogance, if you will. Conceitedness. But that is not to be the case among Christians, right? For our Lord and Savior was and is humble. The Lord and Savior was humble, is humble. And it is God's will for us to be conformed to his image or likeness. And you think about it, you know, as you're thinking about, well, do I want to be blessed? And you, most of you said yes, verbally, and I would think most of you would say, maybe you said yes, but quietly inside of your heart. You can't imagine someone saying, no, I don't want to be blessed by God in this life. But you just think about all of these things. Proverbs says a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. You think God's going to bless pride, arrogance, and conceit in his child? He's not. Do you want to be blessed? So you must repent of such things. And you must take on a humble mind. You with me? Now Peter continues on in verse 9. With do not repay evil for evil. And I say continues on because at the end of verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9, it, it literally reads, as you look at it in the original text, he says, A humble mind, comma, not repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling. There's not a new sentence there. It's something that's added by the translators as they you know, try to work through the text. But it's really just a continuation. In fact, one translation puts it that way, and you can see it. Uh, verse 8, the Holman Christian Bible, Be compassionate and humble, comma, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing. Kind of just continues on. Okay, not necessarily a whole new idea, uh, but continuing in his conversation and his exhortation to them. So, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. You want to be blessed, beloved? So just, I just want to make sure as we, as we check each one. Okay, so reviling for reviling, insult for insult, it's another way to say that. Uh, and again, so, some commentators think that Peter maybe makes a shift here and now he's focused on just uh, our interrelations with those outside the church. He was thinking more of the church on the first part. And, but again, it doesn't have to be limited in any way. Certainly brotherly love, that's referring to the, to the relationship of the church and having 
uh, harmonious relationship could refer to the church and also those outside. But uh, here, I don't, I don't necessarily limit it to just those outside the church because those inside the church can uh, harm one another. A Christian can harm a Christian. I know it's hard to believe, but, uh, you know, once in a while in my life, I've seen it. And yes, that, that was a little bit of sarcasm. Um, so I don't think it needs to be limited to those outside the church. I think it's just continuing on. So if someone sinfully hurts or injures you, or if someone insults you or speaks wrongly against you, the idea is that you not turn, do not turn and do the same, or hurt or injure them, or insult or speak wrongly against them. In other words, do not retaliate or pay back in kind. You want to be blessed by God in this life? Beloved, what is the natural response of people when someone simply injures them or insults them? Huh? Yeah, uh, yeah, you you get them back. I mean, we know this, right? Again, we went through this in Romans, but again, it's good to hear it. I'll tell you why in a second personal testimony. But the natural tendency is to return, as one writer says, the evil in full measure or more. That's our, I mean, come on, if we're going to be honest, it's not just return evil for evil, it's return evil plus a little, right? So insult is not just paid back with insult, but also a fist in the face. That's right. They'll never talk to me that way again. Huh? Yes or no? Yeah, come on. Thus, as the writer says, evil's only multiplied. So as we're, as People go around the world, or we, as we see it in our culture, or, or may even be us doing it. We return. So here's the evil. That's bad enough. But then we return the evil. So now there's more evil. I'm, you know, you think that delights the Lord, God Almighty, who is holy and despises and loathes evil? Certainly not. And certainly not in his children. But, but, but let's be honest, beloved. You've seen vengeance in your own heart. Maybe you've carried it out. Don't just think about those who have around you who have, who have done evil when evil was done against them. Think about you now for a moment. Let the Spirit of God work on you. Has there been vengeance in your heart? Have you returned evil for evil? Maybe given a little extra just for good measure? To think that God would bless the Christian who conducts themselves that way is not biblical. He will not. There is forgiveness with God. And we should seek it. There is grace with God. There is mercy with God. There is God's power to live according to his word. And we should do that. And we should seek forgiveness and we should repent when we have not adhered to these commands. But listen, this is where it gets really interesting. Peter doesn't just say, don't return the evil or the insult. But he goes further, right? This is always the interesting part to me. He tells the Christian to bless them. Uh, 1 Peter 3.9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary... 
What does it say? Bless. Bless. Bless here basically means that Christians are to ask God, if I were to define it, to ask God to be kind and gracious to the very person who has been anything but those things to them. And this, this truth, beloved, is not just here. It's repeated throughout the scriptures. Let me give you just a few places. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Everyone. Don't just, re- just, don't just not repay evil for evil, but seek to do them good. 1 Corinthians 4. 12 through 13, Apostle Paul and his ministry partners, when we are verbally abused, we respond by verbally abusing. Uh, When we are attacked on Facebook, we attack back on every social media platform just to show them that we are in charge. When we are verbally abused, we respond with a? When we are persecuted, we endure. They persevere through that. They, they, don't, they don't persecute back. They, they bring themselves under it and endure through it. 13, when people lie about us, we slander them back. We answer in a friendly manner. That's what the scriptures, that's, what, that's the example of the apostles and and his ministry partners. By the way, here are some words from Jesus Christ. You know these, probably. You've heard them if you've been a Christian for any period of time. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 46. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you? Why? Why would I do that, Jesus? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He shows kindness, he shows goodness, even to those who are unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And as you know, tax collectors were thought to be the lowest level of humanity, really, in that culture and society. I mean, come on. So you love those who love you? Give me a, wow, you want me to pat you on the back for that? That's what Jesus is saying. Even the tax collectors do that. I've called you to something greater, something more significant. He goes on to say in Luke 6, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. That is not natural in our fallenness. That is supernatural. It is the conduct of a new humanity, a redeemed, freed from sin, Holy Spirit-empowered humanity that God wants to see conformed to the likeness of his righteous, beloved Son, Jesus Christ. How do you respond, beloved? Whether it be a believer or an unbeliever who injures or insults you, how do you respond? It's not enough to do nothing. So maybe you've, you've progressed and you said, well, I didn't punch them. I didn't strike back. I did not let my 
lips loose. I did not, I wanted to type something very negative. I did not, I held back. But it is another thing to then use your hands and your tongue to bless them. So you, you said, mm, mm. okay, it's a good start. Now, and bless. That's supernatural. That's a God thing. And God will bless that. He will bless that. Okay? I, listen, I, you know, this text is for me as well, and I, I need the reminder. I went through this when we went through with Romans. I was reminded of these things. It's, I mean, these, I have a hard time. I'm just like you. I'm a human being and, and a, a stumbling saint. Good song, good song. Stumbling saint. I mean, I had a guy, you know, honk at me because I didn't move fast enough. And I said, jerk. <laughs> and then, beloved, this just happened yesterday. <laughs> and then he pulls around me and whips in front of the other cars. And then I got my wife. I'm like, look at him. Look what he's doing. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So she's, you know, she's on my team, you know. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh... I'm like, babe, that was wrong. That was wrong. That was wrong. I, I, I should bless him. Stop. I mean, in some way, Lord, I don't know what's going on in that guy's life, but obviously he's in a big hurry. And uh, you know, maybe he doesn't know you. Maybe he doesn't have the peace of Christ in his life. So things freak him out when someone doesn't move a little bit, you know, too, or they move too slow. I don't know, Father. I don't want to judge the man. I shouldn't judge the man. Father, I pray your blessing upon him. I pray you bring Christ into his life. And that would have, that would have you know, done wonders even to my heart and my psyche and everything else. It would have brought peace into the car. I wouldn't have had Allie over here cursing him and everything else. <laughs> Caused my wife to stumble in that situation and everything, you know? Uh, I love her. She's definitely a good support, but... Um, <laughs> But I, you know, I want to lead her into godliness as well. And I didn't. I blew it. I didn't act godly. And then even, even when I said jerk, you know how you had that feeling? It's like this, this irritation that runs through my body. God knows what's good for us, you know? All right. Let's, uh, we're going to, all right, let's look back at the text. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Verse 9, like I said, it just kind of continues. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. Now, quickly, because we're doing communion today and we're running out of time. I understand the to this in verse 9 to be referring back to all of what Peter just said. So not just in verse 9, but in verses 8 and 9, because I believe it's just one, it's a continuation of exhortations. So Christians have, have been called to be holy, to turn from evil, and to exercise righteousness in their relationships, both inside and outside of the church, just as Peter has just described in verses 8 and 9. And doing so is a means of obtaining blessing from God. Or to put it another way, God has called Christians to, to such a righteous life in order that by this righteous living they may obtain God's blessing on their lives. 
Child of God, wrong living or disobedience to God, as I mentioned earlier, brings God's corrective discipline into your life, if you are his child. But right living brings God's blessing into your life. So do you want to experience the good life? Yeah? Okay. I'm going to define that because it's not big fancy houses or expensive cars, as maybe in a prosperity, gospel, messed up church would try to suggest to you that's the good life, you know, living large and having tons of money. That's not the idea here, but I'll get to that in a second. So Peter then in support of verses 8 and 9, what we just read, he then quotes from Psalm 34, which is where we'll find this idea of a good life, and specifically verses 12 through 16. And one commentator, I agree with him, says that the verses 8 and 9 are really Peter's exposition of Psalm 34, 12 through 16, which he then goes on to quote. He's expositing it to you. He's, he's, he's taking that passage and he's bringing it into the current context and he's, he's explaining, this is what it looks like as he, as he lays out those things in verses 8 and 9. One commentator points out that the passage Peter quotes from uh, in the psalm has appropriately been called, when we look at the psalm, an ancient recipe for a happy life. An ancient recipe for a happy life. So, another writer says, it is wisdom teaching in the psalm about the way of the righteous which produces a life of quality with God's blessing. Okay? It's a teaching about the way of the righteous which produces a life of quality with God's blessing. So the end of verse 9 says, to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And then, Peter quotes, from the psalm, beginning in verse 10, for who, as support, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. The idea is he's to work for reconciliation and harmony among people rather than returning evil for evil. He's to seek it. He's to go after that. It is pleasing to God. And God blesses this behavior. And then in verse 12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So again, just trying to bring this all together, uh, I agree with one uh, Bible scholar. He, he says we, we might represent the overall argument of verses 8 to 12 as follows, in his own words, uh, using Peter's words. Finally... This is a way to understand it. All of you be like-minded, loving toward one another, compassionate and humble, verse 8, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, for you have been called to such a righteous life in order that by this righteous living you may obtain God's blessing on your life. Verse 9, for in the Psalms, God promises blessings to those who live righteously verses 10 through 12 that's how i would understand the flow and the logic of what peter is saying here so basically verses 8 through 12 is teaching that one proper motive for righteous living is the knowledge that such conduct will bring blessings from god in this life one writer puts it god has designed life so that when we seek to glorify him by obeying his commands we receive a blessing which makes sense it makes sense. So just a few closing comments. 
about the passage in verse 10. Uh, the idea of being able to love life and see good days, or experiencing the good life, if you will. The good life. I mean, when you think about that, you know, how the world portrays that, it's something altogether different, what they might say is the good life. But uh, scripturally speaking, it obviously doesn't mean a problem-free life in the present. It obviously doesn't mean that, because in the context, Peter talks about, do not return evil for evil. It is assumed that evil is being done against you, or that it can happen and will happen. So certainly, or insult, for insult. So certainly those things are going to happen. He knew that his readers were experiencing opposition for their faith. So it's not a problem-free life, the good life. But um, rather it suggests that it's uh, an enjoyment of life and contentment in the life God has given, no matter what the outward circumstances. An enjoyment of life and a contentment in the life God has given, no matter what the outward circumstances. So let me talk about that just briefly. Contentment. When you obey God, when you live as he has called you to live, as we see in this passage, when you relate rightly to one another, then with that comes contentment, a peace, a satisfaction, a pleasure or the pleasure of living as God desires you to live and has called you to live. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That contentment that comes when you are obeying your Father, when you are living as He has called you to live, when you're doing those things, when you, when you trust Him, even in spite of the circumstances, even, well, Lord, if I don't, if I don't fight back here, then I'll be... I'll, I'll, Something that I gotta do something. That's what I gotta do. This person has insulted me, or this person has done evil against me, and I need to give it back to them. Otherwise, I might experience more evil. That's not trusting the Lord. But when you trust Him and say, "Lord, I'm gonna trust You in this, and I'm not gonna return evil for evil, and I am going to bless," along with that comes His blessing in your life—a blessing of contentment, a blessing of peace. A blessing even of satisfaction that you would not have if you decided to do your own thing and disobey the Lord. It's an example. Contentment. Or even the, the, the situation where you're to show sympathy and to care for one another and not be humble. There is a contentment, a peace that comes upon you. The blessing of God is the way I understand that into your life as you obey your Father. And... And, and, I, and I know, as, as a contrast, Christian, when you don't live this way, and you live in no disobedience to him, and you do the very opposite things, does that not bother your heart, your soul, inside? Does it not create uh, a lack of peace? That's intentional. You think God's going to give you peace while you're living in disobedience to him? Beloved, if you have peace while you willfully live in disobedience to him, you're not his. You're not his. That's what I would say. That's what the scriptures say. You're not his. If you could just go on through life and continue in willful disobedience, you don't know him. But when you know him and the spirit of God dwells in you, you cannot live in peace. You're, you've got a serious conflict going on. And you will not, be, you will not experience his blessing in that way then. Of if, if you did live in obedience to him. 
Beyond that, it, it brings enjoyment of life to some degree. So one writer says, listen, being gracious to others, as we just generally see in this, this text, may lead to longer life and better days. Okay? Just this is a general practical thing, right? Being gracious to others may lead to long life and better days. On the contrary, a life of evil and strife may be shortened and marred. Huh? So as a quick example... One of Allie, Allie works for a bus company, and one of her drivers saw this happen right in front of her. High school, a girl, uh, so it's in front of a high school, a girl pulls, uh, is in a car. Uh, we find out later that this girl had gotten into a, a, a fight of some sort, disagreement with another girl at the school. So as she's driving by and sees the girl walking, they begin to go at it verbally. And I guess she pulls up close enough to her to go ahead and, and grab her hair. Okay, she's in the car, so the girl, the driver, got her. She's got her by the hair. These are teenage kids. And the mother's there, so the mother tries to rescue daughter. And for whatever reason, the driver then uh, steps on the accelerator uh, faster than she was going. Mother and daughter end up under the back tire. And because she loses control, she runs over two other Teenage boys, just like that. Boom, one of them's bones sticking out. Okay? Um, yeah, that's not the good life. That's not the good, that's not the good life. That, I mean, that's just a practical example of, in a moment, this girl's life has changed forever now. Uh, jail time, a record, uh, guilt, uh, everything else that's associated with that. Maybe revenge from the family that she might experience. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just a practical working out of the text. You, you think that you can live in disobedience to God and, and you'll experience the good life? Not, you won't, you won't. God, I mean, this is God's love for you. His war so don't return evil for evil. Bless. Seek to be harmonious with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love them. Care for them. Be humble-minded. Because I'll tell you, how many times has a proud mind got people into trouble? Arrogance and conceit. And made their lives more difficult than they need to be. You want to be blessed, beloved? Are you still with me? Then live in obedience to the Lord. And he will bless you. And verse 12 really just affirms God's care of the righteous. Those who, who are manifesting uh, the righteousness of God. The eyes of the Lord, is a, it's a common Old Testament phrase that relates to God's special caring watchfulness over his people. He's looking after them for good and recognizing and meeting their needs. And by contrast, the statement, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, in the context of Psalm 34, it's a, it's, it's a verdict of judgment. And if you read the passage in full, it goes on to read in Psalm 34, 16, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. That's, that is the destiny of those who continue in evil and, and live out evil lives and do not repent and give themselves to Jesus Christ. But for the believer... The one who is living unto the Lord, trusting in the Lord, and striving to manifest God's righteousness in their life through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
God cares for them, looks, looks after them, and, and caters to their needs and blesses them. And finally, one last quote. This passage presents a bold affirmation of the relation between righteous living and God's present blessing in this life. As such, it provides a needed corrective to careless, half-hearted Christians living in any age and a powerful motivation to the kind of holy living to which Peter says all Christians have been called.